0: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Oh, I love a nice fire, especially in a place like this on a wet day. When I was 18 uh, something happened to me that changed the course of my life. I'd landed a job on a summer camp in the woods of New Hampshire near a little town called Berlin and kids were there to learn about wildlife and bushcraft and sustainable hunting and I was I was supposed to teach them fishing. I was only 18 myself but I loved nature and the summer camp had loads of weird and wonderful guests come through to talk to the kids and one day this this guy walks in to talk about his work and he has armfuls of show-and-tell stuff you know skulls and hides and plastic cast tracks and and he was a black bear biologist and I'm thinking you can be a bear biologist I'd never given a thought to bears at that point but I wanted to know what this guy did so I asked him if I could go out into the field with him he didn't bite last thing he needed I think was a crazy young English fella getting in the way But finally, about two weeks later, the bear biologist calls me up one evening and tells me it's time. Time to see a bear. So, one evening, the bear biologist picks me up at the camp and we pull out of the front gate, but instead of taking a left into the forest, he takes a right towards town and I'm like, aren't we supposed to go the other way? But we weren't going to the woods, we were headed to his research site. He pulls up to the city dump. I can't believe what I see. It's nine o'clock at night when we get to the dump and as my eyes adjust, I see 14 black bears all rummaging through the garbage pile searching for food, all romantically lit by moonlight. We spent half the night tranquilizing and collaring them so that he could follow them for his research study. After that night, over 30 years ago, in the city dump, I knew what my life would be. I told myself, I'm going to study bears. And not just any bears. That night eventually led me to search out for one really special bear the ghost bears of the North Cascades in Washington State. I'm in those mountains now to tell the story the story of those bears. From KUOW in Seattle, I'm Chris Morgan. Welcome to the wild. One day in 1967, a man left his cabin and hiked deep into the mountains here in Washington State and shot a bear, a grizzly bear. It was the last legal kill here, and it turns out one of the last remaining grizzly bears. Ironically, just one year later in 1968, the valley became part of of the brand new North Cascades National Park. I was born in November of that same year, a million miles from the Pacific Northwest. At one time, there used to be hundreds of grizzly bears here in the North Cascades, but when European settlers got here, the bears were hunted almost to extinction. There weren't any match for muskets and rifles, and they stood in the way of progress, otherwise known as our Western Expansion. It's pretty hard to fathom, 200 years ago, there were at least 50,000 grizzlies in the lower 48, maybe even 100,000. And now there are fewer than 2,000. So during that 200 years, grizzlies in the lower 48 were pushed into five areas, five ecosystems, wild mountains and valleys, places that were too wild for human settlement, away from human populations, places like Yellowstone and Glacier National Park and the Cascades where I'm sitting right now. It's a big place. The ecosystem for bears here is about 10,000 square miles in size. It's lots of big mountains, and rivers, and huge forests. But here there are fewer than 20 grizzlies, probably less, maybe just one or two. We don't know for sure. There's definitely this air of mystery around them, and it's, it's why people call them ghost bears. And it's what pulls me in. After my first experience with, with the bears in that dump in New Hampshire, I went back to England and I studied conservation. I ended up getting a, an advanced degree in ecology. But in Britain, the, the only bears you find in Britain are in zoos. They went extinct there about a thousand years ago. So I did my research project on endangered red squirrels. Like a like a bear study in miniature. But that's a whole other story for a, another campfire. So to study bears, I had to get creative, so I travelled around the world volunteering on research projects and then even getting paid a little bit. It was really exciting, and, and I was gathering all this knowledge along the way. I went to Pakistan and Spain to study brown bears and Ecuador for spectacle bears. went to the Canadian Rockies and the Arctic. But grizzlies, those were the bears that grabbed me. <laughs> Not literally, of course. Touch Touch wood. So when I left England in 1997 and moved to the Pacific Northwest, I immediately felt this connection to the North Cascades. Grizzlies have lived in these mountains for about 20,000 years. They've evolved alongside wolves and eagles and salmon, and they've coexisted with Native American people here for thousands of years. One thing that really fascinates me about grizzlies is their relationship to their ecosystem. They're omnivores, so they eat all kinds of things, a bit like us. And meat is actually less than 20% of their diet. Plants are their main thing. And here in the Cascades, there are about 100 plant species on their menu. Everything from devil's club berries to glacier lily bulbs. I can see five different bear foods from where I'm sitting. Grizzlies are like these four-wheel drive gardeners you know they till up the soil with those big claws looking for roots and insects it's it's amazing to watch they're such resourceful animals in Yellowstone they even eat moths thousands of them a day they'll find them under rocks and and they're a really good source of fat and grizzlies as we all know they all they love berries they'll scarf down a hundred thousand berries in a single day I've watched them delicately pluck them off bushes with those big lips And all those berry seeds have to come out the other end at some point. You know, perhaps miles from where they were eaten. And this brings me to another of my favourite things about bears. Their scat. Poop. I'm fascinated by it because you can learn so much from the stuff. Their scat is so full of clues about what they've been eating and where they've been. You'll never see me walking past a pile of it. And it makes bears really important seed dispersers. Planting things that benefit all kinds of other species too, especially insects and birds. And in Alaska, I've, I've watched bears eat a lot of salmon. I watched this one big male eat 15 sockeye salmon in less than an hour. And then he heads back into the forest and fertilizes the forest with scat and urine, you know, lots of lovely nitrogen, fish fertilizer. They're like the middlemen between the salmon and the trees. It's amazing. There's a lot going on in the bears' world. So what do they need? What do these handful of bears in the North Cascades need to survive? Well, in 1975, the government put grizzly bears on the endangered species list. And since then, they've made a pretty good return in and around Yellowstone. People see them there all the time. It blows me away when I do, seeing lower 48 grizzlies. Their numbers in and around Yellowstone have grown since the 70s by about 400%. So there's about 700 of them there in that ecosystem. And that's great news in heading in the right direction. But here in the Cascades, we haven't been so lucky. They've been hammered so hard historically that they haven't bounced back. One problem is that grizzlies reproduce really slowly. They're actually the second slowest reproducing mammal in North America. Grizzlies only have a couple of cubs on average every three or four years, and then half of them don't survive past their first year. These cubs, it's incredible, they only weigh about one pound when they're born, about the same as a squirrel. Amazing to think that they can grow up to weigh more than five or 600 pounds, but it's a struggle for them to survive. And you know they don't just bounce back in numbers. So when I moved to the Pacific Northwest 20 plus years ago in in the late 90s as a a young ecologist, something, something kind of called me. I was young, I was broke, I was a new dad, but I wanted to save the grizzlies. I wanted to bring them back to the North Cascades. I just had to figure out how. Sounds a bit grandiose when I say it now, but I like a challenge. And I knew bears very well by this point. I'd followed in their footsteps for 2,000 miles around the Rockies for one thing. But what I wasn't ready for was, was the other stuff. At SoundSide, we bring you news and conversation rooted in the Pacific Northwest. Hi, I'm Libby Denkman. I think of my job hosting SoundSide as number one. Asking tough questions of powerful people. The questions you KUOW listeners want answered. And two, bringing you a daily slice of the fascinating, confounding, and often goofy side of life in Washington State. Join me for SoundSide at noon and 8 p.m. on KUOW or anytime on the SoundSide podcast. This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show... Please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give, and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks! I learned here early on that grizzlies in the Cascades are up against two things, and it's not biology or ecology. It's politics and perceptions. With perception, I think it's, it's hard to understand what you can't see. No one sees these bears. Remember the, the ghost bear and all? And if you can't see something, it's easy to fear it. The chances of actually seeing a grizzly here are, are really low. I've spent years looking for them in the North Cascades. Sometimes I feel like I've looked behind every tree, but I've never even seen a track. And very occasionally you hear about a possible grizzly sighting and people go nuts. You know, any news of a sighting is a big deal. One story sticks with me. Uh, A man was alone on a hike on a high ridge up by Cascade Pass in the National Park, and he saw this enormous bear silhouetted up on the ridge about 80 yards away from him. He hadn't seen him, so he grabbed his point-and-shoot camera and he took some photos because there was something different about this bear. It had a huge shoulder hump like grizzlies do. So he came down from his hike and a few friends told him to submit them to the government agencies, which he did. They were amazing. These five photographs, this big silhouette with an unmistakable grizzly bear hump. And he said the bear was brown in colour. When the photographs reached me, they literally like, made my heart race. I, I stared at them for hours. My God, it's a North Cascades grizzly bear. A dozen or maybe more grizzly bear experts weighed in on a blind test. Yep, that is 100% a North Cascades grizzly bear. So it was celebrated. It was an official confirmed sighting. The first one since 1996, 14 years earlier. Then something really unusual happened. I get an email out of the blue from a photographer. He's also seen and photographed this huge bear in the same place two days before the other guy. And he saw this excitement and this hullabaloo online about the confirmed grizzly bear sighting. But he wanted me to see some other photographs that he had taken. And they told a different story. I remember opening up the photographs on my laptop and the first thing I see is this enormous shoulder hump. But it wasn't to be. It was a black bear. Just about the biggest black bear I've ever seen. And with this grizzly bear like hump that was enough to throw a panel of experts off completely. The official report had to be changed. There was now way too much doubt around the sighting. No one really knew if these two men had photographed the same bear, but it couldn't be considered the grizzly sighting we had all been waiting for. We won't ever know for sure. So, I'm thinking the first thing I need to do to save the grizzlies in the Cascades is to share what I know about them, you know, to make people more familiar and, and fascinated by them and in the process reduce the fear and, and change the perception really. To do that I created an outreach project. I didn't have much money, so to save on gas I bought a motorcycle and I rode that motorbike all over the Pacific Northwest. It's a dual sport BMW. It's great for on on and off road and to get into those wild places. And I was an unusual sight, an Englishman on a bike talking about grizzly bears. It certainly got me noticed. People opened up and asked me questions, and it created this connection that allowed me to talk about grizzlies and their importance to the Cascades. I spoke at schools and public meetings, and I took people on treks into bear country. It was an exciting time and felt like progress. Then in 2014, things picked up in a big way. This is where the politics part comes in. The federal government announced a plan that would potentially involve bringing grizzlies into the North Cascades to help them come back. This idea of capturing bears in a place with good grizzly numbers, like the Montana Rockies, and then bringing them to Washington. An environmental impact statement was started to figure out if if that should happen. Although it was a long shot, it was a huge step forward on this road to bringing grizzly back to the Cascades. I was thrilled. But there were a lot of people who weren't so happy about this idea. Some people got pretty upset over it. One time I was in a small town in the mountains and I went into this office to ask for directions for a meeting I was going to. And this guy is sitting at his desk and kind of looks me up and down like he's curious about why I'm talking about Grizzly Bears. He jumps to his feet and I'm like, oh, nice guy, he's going to give me directions. He walks right past me and, and straight out the front door and grabs something from the door of his truck and then walks right up to me in the doorway of his office. He leans in and he presses a revolver in my stomach and whispers, you come here again talking about grizzly bears and you might not leave. I froze. This was a first for me. And it was intense, as you can imagine. The blood totally drained from my head and and this mix of fear and anger just flooded over me. It was a, I don't know, just a really real reminder that not everyone loves these bears. But then something even more surprising happened. We did this awkward kind of two-step in the doorway and I remember holding my hands up and saying something like, hey, you know, that's not cool, let's talk. I ended up sitting with this guy for over an hour, talking to him like a Freudian shrink. Turns out that this was more about the government he didn't want in his life than grizzlies. Not everyone gets that intense, but I've, I've come across others who feel the same way. People who have real concerns about grizzlies coming back. The local economy has been struggling for years when... The lumber industry all but collapsed. Loggers think the endangered grizzlies will bring with them more government regulations and make their jobs even more difficult. And ranchers are worried that bears will prey on their livestock. I've spoken to so many of these folks, and I I get their fears, especially when it's their livelihoods we're talking about. But myths and legends have not been kind to grizzlies. And I've met other ranchers, ones living deep in grizzly country in Montana a place with a lot more grizzlies than here and the ranchers there said that they coexist just fine with grizzlies. One of them said to me that they have more calves killed by rattlesnakes and even lightning strikes than grizzly bears. And another rancher even told me he'd sometimes walk out of his door in the morning and there would be a big old male grizzly with his head in the feeding trough right next to his cows. The majority of the people I've spoken to on my travels say that they want the grizzly to come back to the Cascades. We even hired a company to do a poll and and they found really strong support. Most people think grizzlies are a part of our natural heritage for future generations here. But that still doesn't change the fact that there are still people who hate the idea. It's tough. A couple of years ago I got an email out of the blue from a, a local second grade teacher. He told me he had my biggest fan in his class and that this kid was obsessed with bears and me and my films and that he, he checked my book out of the library every week for the last six months. The kid's name is Roman and he's eight years old. Oh, my heart melted. It reminded me we're doing good things. We were getting word out and people cared. And the government process had now included over 120,000 comments from the public showing broad support but still When it comes to bear politics, nothing happens fast. Then, one day last year, I get a call from a colleague telling me a a very high-up politician was coming to town to talk about Grizzlies, to make some kind of special announcement. It was the Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zinke. And you imagine this was a big deal, because the federal government had been getting closer to making a decision about whether or not they'd start relocating Grizzlies. Zinke was a new appointment under the Trump administration. It was all over, I thought. Decades spent talking to people, raising awareness, listening to concerns, riding that motorcycle all over the Pacific Northwest, all in an attempt to return Grizzlies to the Cascades, and trying to do it in a fair way with local people and thousands of conversations, all that work for nothing. So I go to the meeting and the room's full of people. There are about 30 or so of us in there, all talking in this tense whisper. There's press and TV cameras, and we're all wondering how this is going to go down. And then Zinky strides in, and he clasps his hands around the podium, and he looks at us like he's ready to spring a surprise, and with a big smile across his face, he says, uh, Don't look so worried. I grew up on the flanks of Glacier National Park, and I'm in support of the great bear. When done right, The grizzly can return harmony back to the ecosystem. And I'm here to accelerate this process. the room was silent. Stunned was the word. I mean, this is not what we expected to hear. The guy loves grizzlies. This is going to happen. My colleagues and I drank that night. But you know when some things just seem too good to be true? Well, just a few months passed, and in August, same year, 2018... There's an about turn. Zinke suddenly puts a hold on all North Cascade's grizzly bear recovery work. And just like that, it was off. Some political maneuvering behind the scenes that I'll I'll never really understand. And several months later, Zinke was gone. He resigns during some ethics investigations. I'm thinking, I've seen it all. Not sure how many twists there can be in the North Cascade's grizzly bear saga. And now... The future of these bears in the North Cascades is as uncertain as ever. I honestly don't know what will come next. So I've gotten back on my motorcycle and back on my journey to inspire people about grizzlies and to try and change perceptions, hoping that the people in power, the politicians, will act. And I like to think they'll do the right thing. Find a way forward that works not just for bears but for humans too. Bringing grizzlies to the cascades could honestly become a success story for the world to see and learn from. You know here in Washington State, we're a proud bunch when it comes to the place we live: these amazing mountains, huge trees and forests, rivers, eagles, salmon, orcas, and somewhere a handful of grizzly bears surviving against the odds, representing what's left of the wild West that so many people love. Their future is 100% in our hands. And then there's Roman. Remember the eight-year-old whose teacher called him my biggest fan? I decided to pay him a surprise visit in his classroom. His teacher and I plotted to wait until recess, and then I came in and I sat on his tiny chair waiting for him to come back. I'd brought bare pictures, skulls, hides, teeth, and a copy of my book for him so he doesn't have to check it out anymore. I'll never forget his face as he walked in. He said nothing the whole hour. He just had this big, shy, wide grin across his face as his classmates raced around us. And I'm, I'm looking at Roman thinking, hmm, as a kid, you could end up in the garbage dump too. For all the right reasons. If you'd like to learn more about grizzlies, you can find information on our website, kuow.org slash We've got cool photos and videos from previous episodes there as well. Worth a look. And if you want to look at the outreach project that I mentioned in the story, it can teach you all about grizzlies, black bears, wolves, cougars here in the Northwest. It's westernwildlife.org. Next week, we head to the Columbia River and a pretty amazing story about sea lions and salmon hope you can join us the wild is inspired not just by nature but by people who work in it and love it and protect it there's a ton of information on the website if you want to find out more the wild is a production of kuow in seattle in partnership with my work at chris morgan wildlife our producer is matt martin jim gates is our editor our fact checker is april craig our theme music is by michael parker i'm your host chris morgan thanks for listening